Our lesson for tonight is going back to our one word series. We're in our 10th lesson thus far. And tonight's lesson is on self-control. And this is an interesting one because I think almost everyone has some kind of issue with self-control to some degree. Uh, I know that I myself do it certain times with different things. But self-control is something that is very important that we uh, understand. And it's something very important that we keep in check. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit as we read in Galatians 5 verses 22 and 23. It's something that we have to put into our lives. And so uh, this is one of the things that is probably more difficult for us as Christians. The term self-control is a fairly new one in the sense that it was not penned until somewhere around 1711, a full century after the King James Version was published. So it won't be found in its pages, though the words are certain. Though the words are absent, the thought is certainly present. There are other words that have been used to describe what is essentially self-control. Temperance is one of those words found in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6. Sober found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 8. Discreet found in Titus 2 and verse 5. And sober-minded found in Titus 2 and verse 6. The Greek words that later translated to self-control are ekratia, sophrosynia, and nepho, and the terms that are related to them. We won't go into great detail about those words. By definition, self-control is defined this way in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Restraint exercised over one's own impulses, emotions, or desires. Those who have self-control are not in need of someone hanging over them, telling them when they shouldn't do something. They have control of their own being. Biblically speaking, self-control is required of elders in the church as they are required to be temperate and sober-minded as we read in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2 as from the New King James Version. Deacons likewise are also commanded to be temperate as is found in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 11. Many throughout history and in the Bible have been known for their self-control or their lack thereof. Uh, some have been involved with teaching others how to control themselves, such as teachers or coaches or the like. But they've been unable to do the same for themselves. I've heard of that often, where you maybe have a, a coach that uh, is a great coach and teaches his team to control themselves on the court or, or on the field or wherever they are. And then, for whatever reason, he is unable to control his own temper and often loses it during the game. For many, self-control is one of those things that is easier said than done. Our lesson objectives for tonight are number one, to learn the meaning of self-control by studying how it is exhibited in Scripture. 
And secondly, to learn how to better control our own desires and emotions, not allowing them to control us. We look first at what a lack of self-control can do. We see many examples of those who did have somewhat of a lack of self-control. Uh, maybe it was getting into temptation or something else, but we see that there are certain of those in Scripture that lacked self-control. Let's go back to the very first time that someone gave in to temptation. Let's go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 3. And looking at verses 1 through 7, we read this. Genesis 3, beginning with verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat, of the, eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, excuse me, touch it, lest you die. Verse 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. We can't use the excuse here that Eve knew or didn't know that it was wrong. Because she did. We read earlier in Genesis that God told Adam specifically. He gave him command regarding this tree. And Eve knew. She knew. And she told the serpent, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. She knew that it was wrong. But she allowed her desire for the fruit to control her actions. And we see that she sinned. In Genesis 4, we read that her son Cain also allowed his emotions to control his actions. Being angry with his brother Abel, who had offered the more excellent sacrifice, as we read in Hebrews 11 and verse 4, killed him. He allowed his anger to take over and he slew his own brother. He also lacked self-control. There are other instances of someone losing control. Moses, for instance, in disobeying God's command. Turn with me to the book of Numbers chapter 20. In Numbers chapter 20, and beginning with verse 7. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, and pay very close attention to the command here. Verse 8, take the rod. And your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock, and give drink to the congregation and their animals. 
So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels! Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came out abundantly. And the congregation and their animals drank. The people, they came to Moses time and time again. We're hungry. We're in need of food. We're thirsty. We're in need of water. And they complained. They complained. Even though God had, had taken such good care of them, He had brought them out of Egyptian bondage. Uh, he had allowed them to survive and, and, and even wiped out the Egyptian army behind them in the collapse of the Red Sea. And yet they complained. Obviously, this was something that, that bothered Moses quite a bit. They complained to him. And, and though God had previously commanded Moses to strike a rock to provide the children of Israel with water, as we read in Exodus chapter 17 and verse 6, the command was different this time. He didn't command Moses to strike the rock twice. This time he commanded him to speak to the rock. But Moses allowed his anger to control his actions. In that moment, that, that simple act of, of a lack of self-control cost him entrance into the promised land. He could look over and see it, but he was not allowed to enter in. Joshua led the people in this place. And let's look at one more. Let's look at David. David, we see, exhibited a moment of lack of self-control. Actually, more than a moment. But in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and beginning with verse 5. 2 Samuel 11 and verse 1. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliah, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And if only it had stopped there, if only David, hearing those words, that she was the wife of another man, if only he left her alone in that moment. But we read in verse 4 that David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. 
David shouldn't have been on the roof. He shouldn't have had idle time, but he did. That idle time led him to be on the roof. From the roof he could see this woman bathing. And even after hearing that she was the wife of another man, he still called for her. And she came to him. David's sin with Bathsheba led to another when he placed Uriah on the front line of battle. As read in chapter 11 and verse 15 and following, he placed him on the front line of battle to be killed with the valiant men. And then he took Bathsheba to be his own wife. And the sin was covered up, right? Uh, once she became his wife, the child was his, and, and it was okay. No. We see that David was humbled when Nathan revealed to him, You are the man. The one who, despite having many wives of his own, desired the wife of another. You see, David's sight, his view was limited to something. His view was limited to his present desire. His present want. Blinding him to the consequences that eventually led to his sorrow and suffering over his sin. Isn't that how uh, this works? Whenever we lose self-control, whenever we give in to temptation, aren't we short-sighted to some degree? Uh, to where we only see what is in the present and we don't see what is in the future. We don't see the problems that might occur because of our giving in to the temptation that we're faced with. That's what happened with David. And as we look at David, he was short-sighted. He was blinded to the consequences and so he, went, he just went for it. He went to fulfill his own desire. And he did. But he couldn't see what would happen next. He couldn't see that the child that had been conceived in this unlawful, in this wrongful relationship, he couldn't see that this child would die. And David, though led to repentance, had to live with regret the rest of his life. Knowing that he had wronged God as well as those around him, including Bathsheba too. Now he was just as responsible for Bathsheba as he was himself. He was the king. And so he had a duty to her to, to leave her alone and yet he called for her and she came. You know, that's something that I don't think we often recognize. But David failed in his responsibility toward his people. But the, the, the most important here is that he had failed in his responsibility to God. To remain true to Him, to His Word, and to avoid those things that were unlawful. David lacked self-control in these matters. You know, we are encouraged often in Scripture to remain in control 
at all times. Mostly in regard to anger, but there are some other instances as well. Uh, let's look at Proverbs for a moment. There are several passages in Proverbs. I'll share a few of those with you. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 18. A wrathful man stirs up strife. But he who is slow to anger allays contention. Proverbs 16 verse 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes the city. In this one it's a reference to the might within man to control himself. He is a mighty man who can control himself. Proverbs 17 verse 27 He who has knowledge spares his words. And a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Wisdom is something that, that we all should strive for. And having wisdom We'll know when it's time to speak and when it's not. And sometimes it's best just to hold back and, and not say anything for the moment. And sometimes even walk away from a situation and come back later. I know that my dad did that to me several times. He tried not to act out of anger if I had done something wrong. And so there were times where he would send me to my room. And, and now I understand that when he did that, he was preparing himself so that he wouldn't say the wrong thing. Or so that he wouldn't act out of anger. So that he could, could prepare for that moment. In dealing with whatever I had done wrong. And showing me the right way to go. He has knowledge, spares his words. And you know, once a word comes out of our mouth. Once something uh, offensive comes out. It's hard to take it back. We have to be careful of our words. And even of our spirit, of our uh, everything that is within man. We need to be calm. You know, they often tell you if there's an emergency, don't get too flustered. Don't, don't get uh, out of hand, if you will. You know, be calm. Proverbs 19, verse 11, The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory... It's to overlook a transgression. Sometimes we can't overlook things and, and maybe that's the best in, in certain situations. And there are times that, that eventually you have to act at some point. But be slow to anger. Proverbs 23 verses 29 through 30. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes, those who linger long at the wine, those who go in search of mixed wine. This is talking about drunkenness. Drunkenness is something that is it's a lack of self-control. We need to control ourselves in all situations. Not seek to be drunk, but seek to be sober at all times. Proverbs 25 verse 28, Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. 
It was very important back then that cities were well, well fortified, well, well uh, had a good defense. And one who cannot have rule over his own spirit, over his own being, is like a city broken down without walls. A defenseless city. We're left defenseless if we have no control over ourselves. Paul, in his warning to the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 26, said, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification? That it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. It, this is more than a, a, just a warning about anger, but also an encouragement not to give place to the devil, not to give in to temptation of any sort. Uh, we will all be tempted, but we, uh, but we have a will. And the question is, will we have more of a will to serve God? Uh, will the will to serve God overcome our desire for whatever we are being tempted with? And he doesn't even leave it there. He, he gives us something to replace it with. Uh, be angry, but do not sin. And again, it's not a sin to be angry. There is such thing as, as what I might refer to as righteous anger. There are times where Jesus was angry, but he didn't allow his anger to take control of his spirit and his body. Be angry, but do not sin. We need to be careful of our anger. Uh, we need to put away from us bitterness, wrath, anger. Uh, be careful of our words. Uh, put away from us all malice. But be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted. Be forgiving. We have been forgiven. And so we also need to be forgiven. But now, let's turn our attention. Uh, we, we have looked so far at the negatives and all the things that come along with losing self-control. But let's spend the rest of our lesson on looking at the perfect example of self-control. The perfect example of self-control is found in none other than Jesus himself. Jesus was always in control of himself. And he shows us how we need to be in control as well. We see it in the temptations of Jesus in Luke chapter 4 and beginning with verse 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, 
It was important that he do this. And being tempted for 40 days by the devil. In those days he ate nothing and afterward when they had ended, he was hungry. Now let's stop here for a moment and notice that Jesus was tempted. I've heard of those that believe that temptation is sin. And temptation itself is not sin. We'll be tempted many times in our life. It's when we give in to temptation that we sin. The temptation itself is not a sin. And Jesus himself was tempted here. He was tempted first of all, and, and did you notice here that, that he is hungry? Forty days he was tempted. And in those days he ate not a morsel of food. And when those days had ended, he was hungry. Jesus was hungry. And in verse 3, the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Verse 5, Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you, and their glory, for this has been delivered to me. And I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, verse 9, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, it is written, Satan says, it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. We read in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, Seeing then that we have a, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus was without sin. He did not give in to Satan's temptation. And we might ask the question, how was Jesus tempted? And how does this relate to our temptations today? Turn with me for a moment to 1 John chapter 2. So that's what it said in verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. We may look at our world today and see a whole conglomeration of new sins, new things that people get themselves into that are wrong. You may think, well, you know, these are new sins. How do we deal with them? But 
The truth is, they're not new at all. There's not a single sin that doesn't fall into one of these three categories. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. And we are encouraged by John to overcome the world and the temptations that are within it. Jesus overcame each of the, these temptations. When Satan told him, turn these stones into bread, that was the lust of the flesh. But that was one that was directed at his hunger. Forty days without food would make anyone hungry, but Jesus had the will to serve God. And his will was greater than that temptation. Uh, Satan offered him the kingdoms of the world. Satan is referred to as the ruler of this world. It would have been easy for Jesus to claim at least secondary rule over the world without having to, to go to the cross, without having to die for the sins of the people. Seeing all these things and how good it might have looked, the lust of the eyes, Jesus overcame it. He could see the problems that would occur if he were to claim this rule under Satan. And when it comes to throwing himself from the temple, we see the pride of life. Tempting God. And Jesus said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Jesus knew that any benefit from giving in to these temptations was only momentary pleasure. And it would not last. And we're reminded in the verse previous, in 1 John 2, verse 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Eve was tempted also in all three points that Jesus was. Going back to the beginning of time, Genesis chapter 3, remember what it said in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Good for food. She saw that the tree was good for food. Lust of the flesh. He tempted her with her hunger. Oh, it looks good. And, and you know, it would, would feel really good to eat that right now. Lust of the flesh. She saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. Uh, not only did it look good for food, but it was good in appearance. Now, there are certain, certain things that you can look at and say, I don't want that. But he saw that fruit. And she saw that it was good for food. We have a little apple tree at the school. And the kids like to play with that apple tree. That's why we don't often find apples on it. But every so often they'll bring me one of these little apples and and they look awful, you know. But that wasn't the case with this fruit. It looked good. He tempted her with the lust of the eyes. She desired it. And not only did she desire it because of its looks, but, but it was desirable to make one wise. 
This is the pride of life. It would provide her with knowledge and wisdom, making her like God, as Satan told her. And by overcoming these temptations, Jesus has shown us that we, like Him, can overcome them. Eve gave in to the temptation. She partook of the fruit. And she was punished as well as Adam. But Jesus showed us that whenever He faced these temptations, these same temptations, I think it's very interesting that, that He faced all three of them and so did Eve. In the very first temptation. But Jesus showed that in all three of these points, He could overcome them. And so can we. He showed us that we can overcome the temptations that we face. Though we are often weak in the flesh through our willingness to please God, through His guidance in His Word, and through the strength provided us through prayer, we can overcome. It's up to us to, to make sure that our willingness to serve God is greater than any temptation that we might face. Another example of, of Jesus' perfection in regard to self-control one of my favorites, Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 and 13, clearing the temple. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. There are a lot of people that would look at this passage and say, Look right there, Jesus Jesus lost control, didn't he? No, he didn't. Notice that he overturned the tables of the money changers, but he only overturned the seats of those who sold doves. There's a movie that came out several years ago, I believe. If my memory is serving me correctly. I can't remember which one it was. But there was a scene in which Jesus did this. He drove out all these people from the temple. And in the, this scene, the doves go flying everywhere. That didn't happen. That's not accurate. He didn't overturn anything regarding the doves, but he overturned the seats of those who sold the doves. Jesus was in com complete control of his emotions and his actions when he cleared the temple. In his trial and crucifixion, it has been prophesied that, that he would not speak up to defend himself, and he fulfilled it. Isaiah 53, verse 7, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And in 1 Peter 2, verse 23, we're told that when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. He didn't lose control. And when arrested, Jesus mentions the, the power that he could have shown, but being in control, he restrained himself because he knew it must be done. Matthew chapter 26, verses 52 through 56. 
And Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place. Peter was the one that drew his sword. He cut off Malchus's ear. Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father and He will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? How then could the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? Verse 55, In that hour Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And even as he went to the cross, Jesus still held this power. He still could have called 12 legions of angels or any number of angels that he wanted to. He could have come down from the cross by the power that was within him as God. But he remained in control even to the point of death for the sins of mankind. You know, had Jesus lost control of himself at any moment in his life, he would have proven self-control to be impossible. But by overcoming every temptation, he showed that it can be done. We can be in control of ourselves. And he showed us the importance of remaining in control of our lives at all times. Knowing from our examples, as we look at back to the Old Testament, some of the ones we looked at earlier, uh, knowing the, the consequences that may occur uh, that can help us to restrain ourselves. No good ever came from giving in to temptation. As I mentioned in the beginning of our lesson, self-control is probably one of the hardest for us to, to make sure of in our lives. It's something that we all struggle with from time to time. How well do you control yourself? Do you easily lose your temper? Whether it be on the job, while driving, when pressured by a crazy co-worker. I remember a friend of mine was telling me about the job that he had. I don't think he had it too long, but he lost his temper and punched a computer. Not a good idea. He lost control of himself, and that happens often. Or maybe we say something to someone that maybe we shouldn't say. Do you exhibit self-control when tempted to sin? Can you overcome the temptations that you're faced with. We're all faced with them. And we all sin from time to time. How well do you control yourself in the face of temptation? Do you have restraint when it comes to sinful behavior? Even some things that we might not even think of. Overeating, lust, and sexual desire, the need for speed, drunkenness, and the like. How well do you control yourselves when it comes to these behaviors? Are any of these things 
that I've mentioned to you, or maybe something that I've not mentioned. Uh, are any of these things something that you struggle with? To the point that you realize that you can no longer handle these on your own. Don't have to. Even in becoming Christians, it doesn't make us perfect. At least not in this life. The only way we find perfection is through the blood of Christ. But if there's something that you're struggling with, something that, that you need help with, maybe you need prayer. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness for, for some moment uh, of lack of self-control. Maybe there's something that you've done that, that you know has shamed the church. And if there's some way that we can help you in prayer for forgiveness or, or if you just need to rededicate your life to, to God, we're glad to help you. Maybe it is that, that you need to come back to Him. Um, and we'd be glad to help you in that need. Maybe you're not a Christian. If you need to obey the gospel tonight, if you know what you need to do, maybe you've known for some time, but you need to take care of that need. If there's some way that we can help you, we'd be glad to do so. See how we stand as we sing.